We're continuing through the gospel according to Mark. We're picking up the reading this morning at verse 53. Now, at this point in the reading, this, this, this account is an account of what took place on what we now call the night of the Last Supper. Uh, Jesus has instituted the Lord's Supper with his disciples, the Feast of the New Covenant. They have gone out to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus struggled in agony, submitting himself to his Father's will. Judas has betrayed him. The soldiers have arrested him, bound him, and now we pick up the reading at verse 53. This is the word of God, and man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Let us receive it, therefore, for what it is, the very word of God, with reverence, with fear, and with gratitude. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we rejoice in the glorious gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, who for our sake and for our salvation, in great love for us, gave himself up for us in obedience to you for our salvation. We pray in his name for the renewed blessing of the Holy Spirit to grant spiritual illumination to our minds, to open our hearts. We pray, dear Lord in heaven, that by the power of your Spirit, you would convict us more deeply and convert us more deeply. We pray that you would awaken the slumbering and warm the cold-hearted. O Lord, leave us not to ourselves. Come to us, we pray, in the power of your word and spirit, for the glory of your name. Amen. The word of God, the gospel according to Mark. And they led Jesus to the high priest, And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. 
And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But Peter began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, glory, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Some people, some non-Christian historians have looked at the last week of Jesus' earthly life, particularly this last night of Jesus' earthly life, and, and they've tried to explain how everything went tragically wrong. What happened, they asked. Was, was Jesus wrong about his understanding of himself as the Messiah of Israel and how he was to live that out? Did he think did he think that the multitudes of his followers would rally around him in the final hour? How, how could he have been wrong? How could, how, could have it gone, how could it have gone so wrong here at the end? Now, those are questions which some unbelievers might ask. But when we read the accounts as recorded in the four biblical gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we can see that nothing went wrong at all. Everything, everything happened just as Jesus said it would. When we read these accounts carefully, we can see that it was neither Judas nor the high priest who was in control, though they were responsible for their own actions. But nevertheless, it was Jesus who was exercising sovereign lordship over all that was taking place. Jesus was not a helpless, passive victim. Rather, with every step he took, he was doing his Father's will, fulfilling his purpose, and accomplishing his mission. Now, that's, that's the lens through which I want you to see this passage here at the end of chapter 14, the account of Jesus' last night. And as Mark so often does, again, he gives us this passage in three parts. It's, remember what we called his sandwich technique. Scene one is going to be Peter outside in the courtyard. 
Scene two is Jesus before the high priest. Scene three, we're back in the courtyard with Peter. Just bear that in mind as we go through it because Mark wants us to see and to contrast Jesus with Peter. We might learn something about ourselves in that as well. They led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together and Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he, Peter, was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire, scene one. If you were watching it as a movie, you would have seen the guards leading Jesus into the palatial home of the high priest, Caiaphas, and into an upper level room above the courtyard, but then the camera angle would shift and you would see Peter down in the courtyard. Mark says that Peter had followed Jesus at a distance. This was the same disciple who just hours before on this same night had vowed to Jesus, even though they all fall away, I will not fall away. If I must die with you, I will not deny you. So just an hour or so before, Peter had given his personal testimony of faith. He had borne witness to Jesus, pledging his faithfulness. If I must die with you, I will not deny you. But now Peter followed at a distance. It's impossible for us to know what Peter was thinking or what his motives were, his intentions, but on the face of it, we can say that Peter wanted to see what was going to happen to Jesus, but he didn't want to be associated with Jesus. He didn't want to be connected to Jesus. He wanted to get to Jesus, get as near to Jesus as possible while still feeling safe. So here's a question. What about you? Are you following Jesus from a distance? A comfortable distance such that your faithfulness to him is not known by others who might turn against you for his account? I have to ask myself that question too. I do. In our day, in America, in North Monroe, in greater Washtenaw Parish, in your social circles, in your workplace, at school, with friends, or when you are suddenly put on the spot unexpectedly, are you willing to be publicly associated with, connected to Jesus? Do others know that you have made a pledge of faithfulness to him? Or are you following Jesus comfortably at a distance? That's a good question for me to ask myself. Remember Peter in the courtyard warming himself at the fire. <laughs> That's scene one. Scene two, the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. Now what does that tell us? 
The so-called trial of Jesus was a travesty of justice from the very beginning. Now, please remember what I said a couple of weeks ago as we have, have seen this conflict between Jesus and the chief priests and the Sanhedrin, the leadership of first century Judaism. Um, the reference to the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of the first century Jews, uh, this passage has only to do with the, the Jewish leadership of the first century period. There's no anti-Semitism here. There's no basis for any kind of anti-Semitism in the New Testament. This is simply a matter of historical record of the first century period, and it was a matter of historical record. They were deliberately seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. So what we know is that they weren't trying to uphold the law trying to find the truth, uphold justice in accordance with God's law. They had made up their minds. They had already decided the case. Jesus must be put to death. And they sought out anyone who would testify against Jesus. And they got a bunch of false witnesses. But they did not seek anyone who would come to Jesus' defense. And there were also some other irregularities about this so-called trial, violations of Jewish law, which would have disqualified the whole proceeding. For one thing, it took place at night, which was against the law. And there were other irregularities, and you can, you can Google that up and, and read about those. But the point is, they carried on in an illegal trial with false witnesses whose testimony did not agree. But one very interesting accusation noted by Mark is that some witnesses said, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Now what's really interesting about this accusation is that Jesus did in fact say something somewhat like this. But it's not recorded in the Gospel of Mark. It's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 2. After Jesus cleansed the temple for the first time, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. But John tells us that Jesus was speaking about, quote, the temple of his body. So get this. It was Jesus' own prophecy of his own death and resurrection and here at the trial, the prophecy, Jesus' prophecy of his own death and resurrection, here at this trial, which would lead to his death and his resurrection, his words were being twisted by these false witnesses into a threat against the Jewish temple. They missed the point entirely. So I want you to see this. Here is a man on trial who is himself the human embodiment of truth. There he is the truth in human flesh and blood being accused by false witnesses. Here is a man who had performed signs and miracles authenticating him to be, from the human perspective at least, at the very least, a prophet of God. And yet the judges of Israel were doing everything they could to find something against him in order to kill him. And not one of them spoke a word in his favor. Not one of them came to his defense but here's what I want you to see. Not even Jesus himself spoke a word in his own defense. He knew exactly what was happening. And he was in complete control of the situation. 
and not flinching from it one little bit. Finally, the high priest, sensing that maybe he was losing control of the situation, stood up in frustration and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent and made no answer. We should really meditate on Jesus' silence, his majestic silence, his sovereign silence before his accusers. Jesus refused to respond to the accusations. Not one substantiated charge had been brought against him. Therefore, he did not need to respond. He was not going to parlay with liars. His silence exposed and condemned their lies. He did not defend himself because he was not afraid of them. And he did not defend himself because he knew who he was and he knew what he had come to do and he knew what was taking place. He stood before them in courageous silence. I really want you to see this and I want, to, I want you to get that picture in your mind and I want you to think about it for the rest of this week. Jesus' courageous silence. In fulfillment of the prophecy of the suffering servant prophesied in Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. There is no question that Jesus understood himself to be fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah 53. The prophecy of the suffering servant was a very, very important part of Jesus' understanding of his messianic identity and his salvific, his saving work. It was on the basis of Isaiah 53 which Jesus prophesied his rejection and death at the hands of the chief priest. It was also the basis on which he prophesied his resurrection from the dead. It was too much for Caiaphas and so in response to Jesus' silence, the, the high priest asked him directly, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Caiaphas, the high priest, was pressing Jesus for some kind of self-disclosure. He was, he was demanding that Jesus make some kind of declaratory statement about his identity. Obviously, he was seeking some kind of statement by which Jesus could be charged with blasphemy. And so he, he conflated the terms Christ and Son of God together. They were not necessarily synonymous in first century Judaism, although Jesus understood himself to be the Messiah, the Son of God. But, but here's the point. You remember in, in your Sunday school lessons through the Gospel of Mark, your own reading through the Gospel of Mark, 
Other passages here we've looked at in the Gospel of Mark. Throughout his ministry, Jesus had kept his identity somewhat of a secret. It's called the Messianic secret. You remember how he told his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. You remember that. But now, at this point, because the time had come, because he was standing before the Sanhedrin, the high council, despised and rejected, in fulfillment of prophecy, Jesus answered the high priest directly, and now Jesus gives his own faithful witness. Here is the moment we have been waiting for. This is the moment when Jesus speaks for himself. This is the moment Jesus on trial bore his faithful witness to himself at the cost of his own life. Now, you got to see the whole picture, and I want you to feel it. False witnesses surrounding him, false accusations hurled at him, false motives driving the chief priest throughout this entire travesty. There's only one man who speaks the truth. And he speaks it about himself in a way that makes it perfectly clear to the high priest exactly who Jesus believes himself to be. Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? I am. Those two words, as a means of self-disclosure, as a way of identifying oneself, ought to remind us of the way in which God revealed himself to Moses out of the burning bush. I am that I am. But that is not the only thing that Jesus said. He then alluded to two passages of Scripture and wove them together, Psalm 110, verse 1 which speaks of David's Lord, King David's greater son, who is seated at the right hand of God. And also Daniel 7, 13, the prophecy of the Son of Man, the divine human judge figure who ascends into heaven and is presented before the Ancient of Days to whom is given an everlasting dominion which would never pass away, and who would come in glory to judge all the earth. Yes, in response to the high priest's direct question, are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? Jesus said, I am, and you, and you, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, the right hand of God, and coming with the clouds of heaven. The Son of Man, Daniel 7, 13. The divine human one who would ascend into heaven to reign over the world with God's authority and who would come with divine power to judge the world. With this statement, his faithful witness to himself, Jesus, yes, affirmed that he was indeed the Christ, the Son of God, the divine Son of Man, equal with God who would exercise God's authority and power over his everlasting kingdom and judge all the earth. Do you see it? Now watch just what happened. Watch, look at what just happened. Do you see, do you, at this point, the roles have been completely reversed. The tables have been turned upside down. 
And at this point, Jesus is not on trial. Caiaphas, the high priest, is on trial together with the whole council. And in a prophecy of judgment, yes, in a prophecy of judgment, Jesus, the true judge, spoke, rendered a verdict, and prophesied a judgment that was sure to take place. You will see, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And with that statement, Jesus declared himself to be the divine judge who would bring judgment upon apostate, unfaithful, old covenant Israel. And yes, the high priest, the chief priest, the scribes, the Pharisees, and all those who rejected Jesus and delivered him up to be crucified would see the day of judgment, and they did see it. They saw it. The judgment from heaven when after Jesus' resurrection from the dead and his ascension into heaven and his being seated at the right hand of God the Father, a terrible judgment fell upon Jerusalem in 70 A.D. And a terrible judgment it was. The high priest saw that judgment and died under it. But again, as we've said before, that judgment which fell upon Jerusalem in 70 A.D. was only a precursor. It was only a foreshadowing of the last judgment which will fall upon the whole world when Christ comes again in power and glory to pour out His wrath upon all those who have rejected Him and to bring everlasting redemption to both the living and the dead who have loved Him and followed Him in faith. So let me ask you again, are you following Him at a distance? Or are you following Him as a faithful witness no matter the hatred and the rejection and the scorn of this world? We can be sure as they hurled it upon Him, they will hurl it upon us. Jesus bore faithful witness to Himself. He would not shrink back from His calling and His purpose. He would not deny His true identity even though it would cost Him His Life And the high priest tore his garments in an expression of rage and charged Jesus with blasphemy, and they all agreed that he deserved death and began to spit on him, blindfold him, hit him, and mock him. But do you see Jesus' unflinching faithfulness, even to the point of death, for your salvation? Now, Scene three, Peter, warming himself by the fire. You know the story, I assume, and we're not going to go into it deeply. There's no time for that this morning, but I just want you to see Peter was also on trial, wasn't he? Peter was being interrogated by a servant girl. Three times he denied that he even knew Jesus. Mark wants us to see. This is, this is how he puts this together. Mark wants us to see the contrast between Jesus, the faithful witness, and Peter, the unfaithful. Peter followed from a distance and denied Jesus three times while Jesus was bearing a faithful witness to the truth about himself. Of course Jesus knew exactly what Peter was going to do. He prophesied it. 
Peter would fail three times. Jesus would not fail, not even once. Brothers and sisters, I, I, I hope that as we draw nearer and nearer to the annual observance of Jesus' Passion Week, the annual commemoration of his suffering, death, and resurrection, that we all will take more seriously our absolute need of his saving work in our lives. Don't spit on Jesus Christ. This is a time for us to re-examine ourselves and to ask ourselves whether we are following Jesus at a distance, whether we are in some way denying even that we know him for the sake of our personal comfort zone, or whether we're prepared to be a faithful witness for him today. And I, I think we all have a sense with the way our culture is going. There are going to be days when it's not comfortable to be a Christian. Not if we're real Christians. Remember Jesus. Remember his magnificent, majestic presence in the midst of those yapping dogs. The faithful witness to himself for the sake of your salvation. I just, want you to, I just want you to take this home with you and just let it sink deep into your heart. Have you ever seen such faithfulness? Have you ever seen such integrity? Have you ever seen such courage? Have you ever seen a greater heart? Have you ever seen such love. Brothers and sisters, he was his own faithful witness. Let us live as his faithful witnesses. To God be the glory. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith as we say together the Philippian Creed based on the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians from chapter 2. Christians, in whom do you believe? We believe in Christ Jesus, who so he was in the form of God, did not count the quality of God of things to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking Amen. Oh,